So again, we are in a series called Devotions, and this series we've been talking about since the beginning of October. And the kind of the subtitle of this series, or really the goal, is to help us explore and apply the Word of God to our lives. You know, as Christians, a lot of times the Bible becomes a, um, an, a book that we sort of look to here and there for maybe uh, a good proverb, okay, or something that we just want to, we want to get a quick, you know, nugget, and uh, maybe we read a devotional, and it says one scripture, and then it has a bunch of paragraphs underneath it of someone else's thoughts about that scripture, and what can happen is we can kind of lose the ability for ourselves to to, to search the word of God, to read the word of God, to search it, explore it, and then to, to kind, of, kind of help through the, let the Holy Spirit help us to apply that to our life. And so we become kind of codependent on other people to explain the word of God to us. Or maybe we just kind of just show up on Sundays like this and we hear someone else who has studied maybe to kind of communicate thoughts to us. And, you know, that's really... That really leads to a, um, a malnutritioned relationship with God. Because we, as people, we have a personal relationship with God, and he's given us his, uh, given us his word, all right, his heart, uh, for us to read and to learn about and to apply to our lives, to understand his heart, his plan, uh, to learn how to trust him, to, to learn how to believe in him properly, how to, how to believe and behave properly as believers. And, uh, and so what we want to do is practically look at how to study the word of God in order for us to, again, learn individually how to do this on a, uh, come on, Monday through Saturday, y'all not just on Sunday morning. So that's the goal of this series, and I hope that you've gotten something out of it out of the last few weeks, but uh, we're gonna kind of keep tracking along today. Our key verse has been 2 Timothy. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so uh, last week we looked at, uh, in the, the book of Hebrews, and, and today we're also going to look in the, in the book of Hebrews. So last week was sort of like part one. This is sort of like part two, kind of like a mini-series, if you will. Um, and I want to I help you kind of see, again, the purpose and the context of Hebrews. Remember, we talked about this in week one, uh, that there's different study tools or approaches to how we study the Word. And one of those is, is looking at the purpose or the context or, or kind of what was going on in the culture at that time. These books of the Bible were written to people, okay, especially in the New Testament that we're talking about, and, and they're called epistles, okay? These are apostolic epistles that were being written to, uh, to the body of Christ, to, to the Christians at that time, and if we just read it and, and we think of it in 2022, we are reading it through kind of a different filter, all right? So we need to kind of understand a little bit of what's going on in that time in order for us to read it properly. And so uh, we, we talked about this last week, but again, I just wanna remind you of uh, the book of Hebrews, kind of the summary of the book of Hebrews is this. Uh, it's a general epistle and, or an apostolic letter uh, and it was written mainly to Hebrew believers. Uh, the author is anonymous, although either Paul or Barnabas was traditionally accepted as the author. And it was written around uh, 67 AD. The purpose of the, of the letter is this, to present the Lord Jesus Christ as perfect and superior in comparison to anything Judaism and the old covenant had to offer. 
Okay, so if you if you kind of remember, uh, the Jews, uh, you know, they 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 had the old the old covenant, the old our Old Testament, all right, and they believed all of the things in the Old Testament, the Torah. That's how they that's how they lived. Jesus comes along, and he basically uh, turns everything upside down. All right, and I, I know all of us here today, we would like to think that if somebody came and they called themselves the Messiah and they said all these great things, right, and they did all these miracles, that we would have no problem believing those things. But guess what? A lot of people did. And I think that a lot of people, us included, we would struggle a little bit because we've been taught something for so long and now someone's coming and they're saying they're the fulfillment of all of those things. And so there's tension. So what you have is you have Christians and Jews that are constantly like battling one another in who's right. And so, uh, so the, the purpose of this book is to present the Lord Jesus Christ as a perfect and superior in comparison to anything Judaism and the Old Covenant had to offer. So cultural context is uh, kind of what I was just alluding to. The author was writing to a group of Christians who were under intense persecution, and some were even uh, contemplating a return to Judaism, and uh, he admonished them not to turn away from their only hope of salvation. It was a lot of resistance, and some people are like, man, I think it might just be, you know what, let's just go back to what we believed before. Uh, it was good enough for our parents and our grandparents and so on and so forth, and so, you know what, I think we should just kind of go back, and, and the author here is like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't go back. We are going forward. This is, this is hope. This is, you know, Jesus is hope. He is peace. He's joy. He's all these great things. He's the fulfillment of all of those things, that, all the prophecies and everything that we've read for all these many years. Jesus is the fulfillment. And so in addition to this, we've also talked about three different questions to ask as we read scripture. And, and again, I would highly recommend that, man, you write these things down. Uh, or they're very easy to remember if you do it just a few days. Read scripture and ask these three questions. What do these scriptures, in these scriptures, what do I learn about God? In these scriptures, what do I learn about people? And then in these scriptures, what does God want me to do? All right, just a great filter to have on as we read, read these scriptures. And so today, we're gonna be in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 21 through 25. And it says this, since we have a great, a great priest, over the house of God, and again, remember last week we talked about how Jesus is the faithful mediator. He's the great high priest, okay? This is basically saying since Jesus has done what he's done, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. All right, so in these scriptures, you see a lot of us and we and our, okay? And, and so we're gonna be kind of going down that path today uh, as, as we discover, as we talk about these three questions. And you'll see what I'm talking about here in just a second. The first question is this, what do I learn about God? Now, <clears throat> in, in these verses of scripture, there's many things that you could, you could answer that question with, okay? We just talked, we just saw that he's faithful, he who promises faithful. And all throughout scripture, whenever you read, if you ask this question, there might be five things that you see that, man, God is like this. Jesus said this, and so that represents his character or his thought process, or, or the Spirit of God says this or does this, and it's something that you can learn about God. 
But if we kind of lean into one aspect of what's going on in these verses, if we ask this question, we learn that God has designed us to be in community. He's designed us to be in relationships with each other. All right, we can see this through this verse, through these verses, but also all throughout scripture, you see this, the uh, commands that would come through the New and the Old Testament that were teaching people how to, how to be integrated into a community together, how a society, how a godly society should interact with one another. And, and so you don't see God teaching his people to be isolated or individualistic. You'd see God teaching his people how to operate together right, to dwell together in unity. There's, there's a plethora of scriptures about this. And so what we learn about God today is that God has designed us for community, okay? We're not just made for God, we're made for one another. You know, I think about people whenever they say, uh, man, I don't need anybody else. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm my own person, I don't need anybody else, it's just me. And I, I go back and I think about in, in the beginning when God created Adam and Eve, right? Adam is alone in the beginning, and God looks at Adam, who really, what does, he, what does he have? He has full communion with God, fellowship with God, and then he's got animals, okay? And God looks and says, it's not good that man be alone. And so God creates woman. I, I just, what I see in that is this pattern of God saying, it's not good for you to be isolated and on an island by yourself. And, and so I wanna, I wanna help you understand how to live together with other people, but how to do that properly. And so we're not just made for God, we're made for one another. And community is something that you can't get away from. Get away from. Did you know that you all live in a community? Wherever you, if you live in a city, right, you're in a community of people. Community is, is a necessary part of our lives. If you have a job, you have like a job community, all right, like a circle of people, Everywhere you go, in your family, that's community, all right? In a church, it's community. And so God's designed us for community. We can't get away from community, but God has more specifically designed us to also operate in a faith community, in a community of people who have uh, uh, the, the same faith, all right? For us as a church, as a Christian church, our faith is in Jesus. And so we center around Jesus in this community. Every gathering of people centers around something, okay? If you go to the gym, that community of people centers around exercise. You go to you know, your job, you're centering around this mission in your business or whatever to accomplish a certain thing, whether it's sell products or whatever the case is. You know, a family, you're centered around, man, you're related to one another, right? You know? I mean, there's so many things. In the church, we center around Jesus, you know, and we celebrate that together. That's why we meet together like this. Now, I'll say this. In a couple of weeks, I'm gonna teach a little bit deeper on why church matters, why I believe church matters, and, you know, why do we do all of this right here? Today, we're not gonna lean into kind of the expression of that. We're leaning into the heart of why we do anything that we do. And it starts with the fact that God has created us for community. And so, um, you know, again, in the church, we're centered around Christ, and it's part of our mission statement. Uh, community is one of our values, right? We're, we're created for community, uh, but, but we're, we're Christ-centered communities. And so in 1 Corinthians, it says this, just as the body is one and has many members, <clears throat> and all the members of the body Though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. 
For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. So you see this picture of all of us individually as believers having faith in Christ that, when we, that, that through our faith in Christ, we become one body. That's why we call ourselves the body of Christ. Jesus is the head, we are the body. And we are made up of many members and all of us have, uh, have a part to play in that. All of us. We have a part to play. There's a, there was a, there's a responsibility that we have as believers to operate in community. And, you know, that's difficult for us. And we're going we're gonna to discuss some of the reasons why here in just a moment. But we've got to start with this central idea and, and agree around we are designed for community. God has designed us that way. We're designed to be in a faith community per the Bible and how it, it depicts how we're supposed to operate, that we're not supposed to be, live uh, individualistic, isolated lives. You know, all I need is God. Well, well, you know, it's a little bit deeper than that. Okay, so we start from there. We learn that about God, but then what do we learn about people? What do we learn about people? Well, we learn, verse 25 says, encouraging one another. We learn that people need encouragement to understand that they need to be in community, but also to stay in community. You know, community can be hard, right? It can be hard. Think about every circle you've ever been a part of. Your family, friends. You can go back to, I mean, we've got a, a, our little girl, she's in K4, and uh, community is hard for K4s, you know? Our oldest daughter, she's almost 11, She's having some difficulty, man. Girls are mean. Girls are just vicious, man. I mean, I'm like, she said what to you? Like, dude, golly, man. Community's hard. And we start learning that at an early age. And I, I don't know, for some people, I think at some point they start thinking that it's going to get easier. Look, we're just a bunch of kids who now have mortgages. You know what I'm saying? Like, not much has really changed, you know? We're all very selfish, right? And those things get in the way of community, but we need to be encouraged to stay in community. And culturally, we struggle with community. In our American culture, we struggle with staying in community. We have a very, um, uh, there's a word I'm trying to think of right now, it's not coming to my head, so I'm just gonna keep moving on. But it's a, uh, basically if something, uh, uh, we discard relationships very easily. If we, if we run into trouble with people, we, we have this idea that we could just throw that relationship away and we'll just go start another one. It's why marriages are falling apart left and right. It's like, I'm struggling. Eh, I think that this is, just, this is expired. Let me ju just go and, and get somebody else. And, and that's not the rhythm. That's not the pattern we see in the word. But culturally, that's how, it's acceptable. It's almost expected in some arenas, right? We also, like I, I mentioned a second ago, we live in an individualistic world. We all have our individual jobs, our individual families, obviously, but then we drive to our own homes where our garage opens up. We drive in. We don't want to see anybody. We close our garage. We walk inside. We go in our back porch that's surrounded by a privacy fence. You know what I'm saying? We have security cameras everywhere just in case anybody decides to come maybe bring a pie or something like that. And we know not to, you know, you know we, I don't know. It's just, y'all get what I'm saying. We have this automatic defensive posture to anyone that would seek to come close. Like if, I mean, even if a close friend of mine just showed up on my front doorstep and rang the doorbell and said, hey man, I just came to hang out. I'd be like, 
You didn't call or text or anything. You showed up just to hang out, you know? Now, we might be a little bit more open to that, but <clears throat> most of you, you wouldn't even go to the door. You'd be like, hey, man, should have called later on, you know? <laughs> We've been friends since fifth grade. I don't care, man, you should have called. And, uh, but we have this mindset. And so it just, we're born into a culture that resists getting close with people. We're getting close with people. And, um, and I understand in a lot of senses why. And there's some practical reasons why. And then there's some deeper reasons why. Some of the practical reasons are this. Uh, some of us are just a little bit more introverted than others. Right? Meaning, I just honestly, I don't like to be around a lot of people. And when I hear the word community, what I hear is I have to be around a lot of people. And I'm already tired thinking about that. That just, you know? And so, and, and to a certain extent, I think, you know, the older I get, the more introverted I am, uh, meaning, meaning that I, I, draw, I, I draw equal amounts of, of strength from being with people or also just being at home where I don't hear anything except the air condition. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and, and, and I think we need to know ourselves and know the balance there. But, but let me just tell you something. Community doesn't mean always being around people and, and, and you know, being drained all the time and having to give every single ounce of every moment to other people. That's not what community is. You know, I mean, do you feel like that about, about your family? Hopefully not. That was probably a bad question. I withdraw that question because I realized when I said it... <laughs> That's a 50-50 shot right there. Um, it shouldn't be like that, but sometimes it is. But, but, right, but, but even that right there, we're, we're just always on defense. Like we're always like, I don't know, we just want to bubble around us. Arms three foot, you know what I'm saying? I th think about whenever Corona was going nuts and everybody, did y'all see people walking around with like six foot poles around them? Did you see that? Like there was a certain time when people were literally walking around. I thought it was a joke, but it, it wasn't a joke. They would have like pool noodles that were just like, that way they would stay six feet apart. You know what I'm saying? So the people walking through uh, grocery stores with like plastic bags wrapped around their head, you know, like instead of a mask. Y'all, that was only like two years ago, just in case you forgot. That was just two years ago. Insanity. Insane. <clears throat> Not all of y'all laughed at that. Um, okay. Um, those people reminded me of what we're talking about though. You know what I'm saying? Just like, don't get too close. Don't get too close. Another thing that could be a practical reason of why we struggle uh, staying in community with other people is just distractions, man. Life. I think a lot of people actually fall into this category, which is your kids, your career, right? Just, just, it's just life. And uh, you are just living Monday through Friday, like just trying to make it through the week. And by Saturday, you're like just depleted. And then, you know, if you actually come to church <laughs> on a Sunday, um, you know, once every three months, then it's like, you know, oh man, like I don't have, to, I, just, I just need, you know, we fill up our schedule with a lot of things that some of which are very important and we can't get around. You know, life is life, y'all, okay? And especially if you're in that age where you're, you have young kids, it's like, it's, like, it's just, you're, you're spent a lot of the time, right? And so you come to the end of yourself and you're like, I don't have time. I don't have energy for, for anything. You know what I'm saying? And so there's distractions that can come. And when I say distractions, I don't, I don't mean to say that in a, an extremely negative way. I just mean it's distracting, okay? It's, it's, it's kind of like right now in this room, you know, there's things going on. And it's like, you know, little distractions that draw our attention away from what's going on. And so, uh, but those things lead to disconnection and separation. 
So a lot of times, uh, people finally realize that they feel isolated or, or by themselves or alone at the, after all those things that we just talked about have happened for years. Because at first, if you're overstimulated and you're around people a lot and you're more of an introvert, whenever you, whenever you draw away from people, you feel relief, right? And maybe whenever there's a lot of things going on in life, there's distractions going on. And, uh, and whenever those moments are, are happening and then you, you draw away from those distractions or you draw away from those relationships to focus in on, on what's most important at the time, it, it, it is good, it feels right. But then you play that out for two, three, four, whatever years. And then all of a sudden you turn around and you're like, I don't have any friends. I don't have any friends. I was talking to somebody recently and um, I asked him this question. I said, I said, who do you have fun with? Like literally, just right now for you, just ask yourself this question. Who do I actually have fun with? And for some people, they can't actually answer that question. They, don't, they can't because they don't have like a community around them of people who help them to, to kind of just enjoy life. Come on, some of y'all, you need to relearn how to enjoy life. And, and although that might sound very superficial, did you know that we were designed for that? Did you know that you were designed to actually enjoy life? You really were. Sin has messed up a whole lot of things, but you were designed for that. God created us for, for, to, to, for peace and for joy and for, for all these things. And people are searching for certain things to find that, and that's where the problem maybe comes into play, right? But that these things can lead to disconnection and separation. And this right here happens in families all the time. It also happens in churches, okay? <clears throat> can I just say something really quick? Um, I've attended this church since I was four years old. And so I've seen this happen over and over and over again. It's, it's like a broken record. And, uh, and people come into a, a faith community like this, and they, and they come in uh, sometimes with a lot of hurt, a lot of, a lot of things that we're about to speak of here in just a moment. And they, and they come in, and there's expectations that maybe they put on people or on a community, and it almost sets them up for failure, before they even get started. It's sort, of like, it's sort of like going into another marriage after you've come out of a tough one and bringing all those defensive things, right? And I understand why, <laughs> into the next relationship. And it's almost like you're only looking for those things to take place. And it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? And the very thing that you're like, I don't want it to happen because you're only looking for that, you, you're eventually gonna find it because every relationship has ups and downs and you're gonna, and then you're eventually gonna find it and then it's like, ha, see, I'm out. And many of you, maybe that's, you've seen that happen in your own life, but it happens in the church as well. It happens in the church. So there's some practical reasons why, but there's some deeper reasons why we struggle with community. One is what I just mentioned, hurt. Some of you have been hurt by past relationships, being in community with other people, and you are walking through life with a limp. It's hard for you to trust anybody. If you had to ask me, one of the greatest struggles I think that we have as a nation right now, and also as a, as a culture, which of course becomes our, our church and, and families, I think that the lack of trust that we have for one another is at an all-time low. We don't trust anyone. 
Everybody starts at a deficit when it comes to trust. Every single person. And that's tough because relation, uh, uh, positive or, or healthy relationships are built upon trust, right? And so as a, as a culture, come on, y'all, we're a part of our culture. We come into this faith community, and we're going to drag into this community the things that we're struggling with. And so if as a culture we're dealing with lack of trust, we're going to have that here in, in our community. And it doesn't mean that it, it's not um, reasonable. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's a reality. So there's hurt. Uh, that's a deeper reason why we might struggle with community. Another one is, is, again, what I just mentioned, unrealistic expectations. People have unrealistic expectations of what a community is supposed to be. So when a community doesn't meet your expectations, you pull away. All right? You pull away. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, <clears throat> he was a, a, a great leader in the church in Germany who lived from like 1906 to 1945. He wrote a book called Life Together. And this is what he says. The person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. Just think about that for a second. Those who love their dream of community will destroy community. An unrealistic expectation of what community is gonna be. It actually destroys it. Instead of loving the people that they're in community with, okay, that they're around, and then healthy community, healthy relationships are birthed out of that love that they have for one another. When me and Nadine were engaged, we, uh, we took this assessment before we got married and uh, before we, we took some marriage counseling. And we took this assessment, and one of the things that the assessment talks about is marriage expectations, and so we'd started dating whenever we were 14, and we were getting married whenever we were 21. And um, so uh, 16 years ago, we got married. And um, whenever we sat down, it was actually my dad that went over the assessment with us. He gave us some counseling before we got married. He talked about marriage expectations, and we scored extremely high on marriage expectations. The thing is, is that you don't wanna score high on marriage expectation. You wanna score low, meaning that you have low expectations, all right? And what it was is this. We had this crazy idea that the issues that we had in our dating relationship, if we just got married and spent more time together, that those problems would dissipate. <laughs> ah, <laughs> if, you're not, if you're not laughing, you're probably not married because that's totally dumb. It's just twisted. What happens is uh, if you have problems and you get married, those problems are magnified times 10. All right, it's not about those problems just dissipating. It's about you working through those problems. And that's hard. It's hard. It takes a whole lot of forgiveness a whole lot of confession, a whole lot of uh, uh, humility, and there's no getting around that. And so the, the expectations, the dream of our marriage, right, was starting to destroy it because after six months, I'm like, man, this isn't what I signed up for. You know what I'm saying? This is horrible. <laughs> it was. It was bad. It was bad. I could tell you some funny stories. <laughs> tell you some good stuff. We're not gonna go there right now. Um, but you guys get the point. 
Whenever we bring expectations into relationships, a lot of times those expectations will actually destroy the relationship before it even starts, okay? And so that's what he's talking about. So that's another reason why we might struggle with, uh, with our uh, community. But, but another one is this. It's just straight up shame due to sin. And in church, this is where a lot of people struggle with getting in relationship with other believers, because there's a lot of shame that they're carrying because of their past, or maybe some things that they're involved in right like at the current time. So this is what happens. It's either I'm ashamed and so I don't feel worthy to be a part of a church because everybody else is so perfect, <laughs> um, which is a lie if you believe that. But also, it, it's, it's, I, don't feel un, I don't feel worthy, but also it's I don't wanna be judged by people because I've been judged before. And so because I don't wanna get judged, I'm gonna stay isolated because I don't want people to know really what's going on in my life because I don't want them to see me differently. And you know what? I'm gonna be honest. There's a lot of merit around all of those thoughts. Like I understand those things. It does make sense. But at the same time, what that causes is it causes you to be isolated from any Christian uh, community, because those are always gonna be in place. Those, those fears, those thoughts are always gonna be in place. And so typically what you do is you find people that you don't feel that tension around, which are also typically people who are not living according to the Bible, right? They're not, they're not living, in, they don't have a Christian walk, but you feel comfortable because there's no shame with them because they don't care, right? And there's, there's no standard of living really. And so now that I can really, I can really go down a long path of, of really seeing uh, what that is, is it's seeing the laws of God, the rules of God as harsh rather than helpful. A lot of people just misunderstand uh, the heart of God when it comes to why he desires us to live a certain way. It's not so he just tells us what to do. It's actually for our good, okay? But also being in a church, if you've been in a church before and you confess your sin to someone and they said, I can't believe that you're doing that. That only needs to happen one time and you'll never, you'll struggle opening up forever. Luckily, when I was 18 years old, I, uh, I made some mistakes. And um, at the time I, I was you know, involved obviously in, in church and whatnot. And so I uh, didn't wanna get found out, didn't wanna get found out, did get found out. And um, uh, stood before the church and, and repented, uh, which we could talk about that for a while. Uh, the old public repentance. You don't see that very often anymore. But anyway, um, uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> I was gonna say something, but I'm just gonna keep moving. Sudafed, Sudafed brain. Um, and uh, I went to my youth pastor at the time, and and uh, he said I need to meet with you. So we got together, and I went into those to that office expecting to be reamed. I really did, expecting to 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 get what I already knew, just to get like pressurize, just pressure, and just, I can't believe, you know, you're an example, blah, 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 and I expected all those things, and when I, when I went inside, I got grace, and I got love, and I got encouraged to, uh, to repent and move on. No judgment. You know, what happens a lot of times is we make mistakes, right? We sin, and the enemy lies to you and says, don't let anybody know, don't confess, they're just gonna judge you, they're not gonna look at you the same. And uh, uh, if you're in a healthy community, especially a healthy church, the very opposite is true. 
to where you actually find freedom and hope and grace and, 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 and the ability to actually repent, which means turn your thinking away from one thing to the other. So we turn our affections away from sin and, and to Christ. And so another thing that Bonhoeffer said about this, he said, sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will, the, will be the power of sin over him. I heard someone say this years ago, they sent they said, sin only has power in silence. Some of you, out of everything that we talk about today, that's what you need to hear. The thing that you're struggling with, it only has power in your life because you're not confessing it to someone that you can trust and, and go to and find healing. Listen, guys, we confess our faults. Uh, our, our, we go to God for forgiveness, but the Bible says that we confess our faults one to another for healing. God's built it into us. He's designed us for that. You can go read the book of James where it talks about that. We confess our faults to God, but we also confess our faults to one another. Now, I'm not saying go on Facebook and post it everywhere and be all public. You know what I'm saying? You want to be in a safe community, but that's what we're talking about. That's how we find healing. So there's a lot of reasons why people struggle with community. All right? That's what we learn about people. But the third question that we ask is, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do with all of this? Again, this whole series is built around devotions. And again, picture yourself reading your Bible, you know, on the back porch in the morning or whatever. And God's speaking these things to you. But at the end of it, you're like, okay, God, you've convicted me, right? But what do you want me to do? Well, the Bible says this, it says, that we should stir one another to love and good works. Verse 24, let us, I like this, it says in verse 24, let us consider how to stir one another, uh, uh, stir up one another to love and good works. Let us be creative in how we as the body of Christ actually encourage and, and stir and motivate one another to live godly lives. How, what, what does that look like? Well, this word stir is an active word. It's, it, did you know when you stir something, you kind of agitate it a little bit? You know what I'm saying? You're cooking, and if you just throw all the ingredients on top of one another and you don't stir it, it's not gonna cook together. You gotta stir everything together, man. And listen, guess, guess what? We all need to be stirred in our lives. We need to be challenged Okay, we, we need to be, we need the weak parts of our life or the things that we're not maybe doing well. We need those things to be, uh, to, for pressure to be applied to those things for us to kind of say, hey, am I living right? A am I actually being stirred to love and good works? Because left to myself, I'm probably not gonna be. Left to ourselves, we become sedentary. We need to be agitated in a good way. It's what part of community is. We, we are challenged. Maybe some of us, we need to be challenged or confronted in our lives. Maybe it's, it looks like, maybe it just simply looks like being invited. Community can look a lot different and, and stirring, one another, stirring one another to love and good works can look very different. Sometimes it's stirring someone through confrontation. Other times it's stirring someone through invitation. Right? Maybe someone has been drifting away from the community of the body of Christ. They've been drifting away, and maybe you're close to them. And what it looks like for you to stir them to, good, to love and good works is to send them a text and say, hey, missed you lately. Everything good? 
nah, man, just stuff, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, hey, man, you know, love you. Come on, I see you Sunday. See you at small group. You wanna grab lunch, get some coffee, whatever the case is, right? Sometimes it's, it's invitation. So there's challenge, there's invitation, there's, there's example, just living as an example. Follow me as I follow Christ. You have to be in community with someone to see the way that they, they live. And, and many times just being around people who are following Christ in and of itself stirs us to love and good works, right? There's this whole study that says that we are the sum of like the, the five people that we're closest to. You know, think about the people that are around you. Is that accurate in your life? Or is that going to be accurate in your life at some point, right? <laughs> Who we're in community with is so important. As a church, there's a lot of different ways that we seek to, to stir people to love and good works. But let me tell you something, the way that, that as Northwood Church, the way that we stir one another to love and good works is not the only way, okay? It's not the only ways that there are, but there are some things that we do as a community in order to kickstart those things. We do services like this. We do groups. Uh, we, we have things, uh, something called Next Steps class, which is actually next week. Uh, if you're new at, here at, at Northwood, maybe you're just getting kind of into this area and you're looking for a church, it'd be a great place to learn who we are, what we're doing, and how you can be a part. Uh, but but that, that might be a next step. That might be a, a love or a good work, all right? Kind of taking a step into a community. Baptism, we're gonna be baptizing here today after service. Some people that were even in freedom, we're gonna be baptizing some people. And, but, but that's a next step. Let me tell you something. Being in a community that's moving in a direction naturally encourages you to move that direction as well. It's the, that's the power of, of community. And so, so what do we do? Well, we stir one another to good love and good works. A um, couple last things is that we invest in relationships. I wanna encourage you, if you find yourself sort of drifting away from people, uh, specifically people in a faith community like a church, if you find yourself sort of being isolated from that, I wanna, I wanna encourage you to kind of reevaluate uh, who you're in, what relationships you're investing in and also what relationships are, are you know, investing into you, okay? Very important to be aware of that. Um, also, I gotta take a sip of water real quick. Yeah, Sudafed is a very, it's dehydrating. Like, got nothing going on in here, you know? We're almost done, we're almost done. The, uh, so we invest in relationships, but, but I wanna encourage those of you who are, have been in this church a long time, because what happens is when you're in a community for a long time, uh, you're, you're, the parts of you that, that need community get filled, okay, and you get your circle, and then what happens is your circle closes up, right? And now it's like, I'm good, but I wanna encourage you to understand something, there are other people who are not good, who need community, who have maybe even moved here recently and they're beginning to attend this church and you've got to be very intentional in opening up that circle to maybe like a horseshoe, right? Inviting people to, to come along and, and, and to join your circle. It's, it's imperative. We're the body of Christ, right? 
And so we, we have a, a spirit of hospitality. And so for some of us, we need to be challenged in that arena. We're in community, but who is not and who can we help reach? So in closing, the motivation behind all of these things, the motivation around community and why it's important always goes back to Jesus. Because the Bible talks about how we are motivated by the love that Christ has had for us. We're motivated to extend that to other people. And community is one of the ways that we extend the love of Christ to other people. And we don't have a judgmental or a harsh community. We have a loving, gracious community. But that we're also very intentional in how we operate as a community. And honestly, that's just really what we wanted to talk about today, the, the heart of it. We'll talk about some of the expressions of that in the next couple of weeks. But again, whenever we read the word of God, the word of God speaks a lot of different things to us. And today I believe that, that if we read the word of God and we ask these three questions, this is one of the things that we get out of it. Man, we're designed for community. Community can be difficult, but we forgive, right? We release, we continue to move forward, and we realize that, that God's calling us to be in community, but also to help others connect. And we're, we're the part of that. Like, we're the hands and feet in, when it comes to that. Did you guys know that the responsibility of what we're talking about, it doesn't just rely on me, okay? We gotta break down that mentality. Like, it's oh, it's all on, on you know, somebody who's got the title. No, this is a community thing, right? All of us are in this together. But I know that a lot of us are struggling with that. And I wanna pray with you here just a second because I know what I mentioned earlier, when it comes to trust and hurt and the past and shame, that's where a lot of us are at on, on many different levels. But I believe that God wants to set, set you free today, at least start the process of you being set free. Some of you guys, y'all live in such shame. And that's why you're actually, uh, uh, you, you, you kind of, you've built up this fence around your life and nobody can penetrate that fence and it's just pain, and that's where the enemy wants you. He wants you isolated and to remain there and to really starve in that place. And um, man, I just hope by the power of the Spirit that today that God could do a great work in your life. So let me pray for you.